So I want to ask you tonight as we open, are, are you thankful for the Lord and for his power? Are you, are you thankful that you have a God who is omnipotent, Brother Gary? Uh, you've experienced God's power in your life over the past year. So we all have. I was going to say so many of us have, Rich, but we all have. We, we've all experienced God's power uh, in our lives this year. Uh, tonight here in, in 1 Samuel 5, you see the Lord's power uh, on display in a very unexpected way, uh, in the most unexpected way. Uh, and yet it is indeed a wonderful uh, demonstration of God's power. Uh, unexpected as it is, uh, nonetheless, an, uh, a very wonderful demonstration uh, of God's power. By the way, is there any limit to God's power? Is it limited in any way? It's not, right? He's, he's the same God, as we say so often, that spoke creation uh, into existence. He's not changed one bit uh, in all these many years. He's, he's still the same. Uh, his power has not been diminished. It has not worn out or worn down. Marilyn, that's hard for us to understand, right? We're wearing out and wearing down just a little bit at least, right? Uh, but, but God doesn't. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't get old. He doesn't get sick. He doesn't get worn out. Uh, he's just as powerful. He's just as strong today as he is, ever was. Uh, and, and he remains that. Here in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 5 tonight, now you'll recall that back in chapter 4, uh, the Lord's people, the Israelites, went into battle with the Philistines. I said, or Philistines, if you prefer, okay? Uh, and what happened? The ark, uh, they, they took the ark into battle thinking um, that it would convey some advantage to them. Uh, and, of course, it didn't because that wasn't God's will and God wasn't with them at that time. Uh, and consequently, the ark was captured. The ark was captured by the Philistines and uh, and taken away. And we see that here in chapter 5, verse 1. Uh, let's see the verse together. It says, and the Philistines took the ark of God. Of course, it should have been back in, in the, the tabernacle, right, in the Holy of Holies. That's where it should have been. The Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer, this is where the battle was, uh, unto uh, Ashdod. Ashdod, this would be midway between Gaza and Joppa, uh, about three miles from the, the coast of the Mediterranean. Uh, this is land, this is a place that had been given to Judah uh, back in Joshua 15. However, they'd never, never really possessed it, and so there's enemies possessing that part of the land now, um, and enemies that have come against God's people and have taken the ark. And so there were consequences, for, uh, clearly, for not possessing the land as God had desired. Verse 2 says this, When the Philistines took the ark of God... They brought it into the house of who? Dagon. This, this is an idol, right? Uh, you know, the, the Lord has his tabernacle. Dagon had probably something that might have looked more impressive. I don't know. They, he had more of a permanent house, it would seem here, a permanent structure uh, at this time. Dagon is an idol. He's one of the two main idols of the Philistines at this time. Um, he was a, a fish god. I think the word Dagon refers to fish or something like that. And uh, of course, in that you see an allusion to the worship of the creation instead of the creator. Marilyn men have been inclined to do that all, all down through history. And, and these lost people were inclined no differently. They, uh, they, they've heard of the Lord. We know that, but they've not come yet to faith in the Lord. So they're just worshiping whatever they could dream up in their own minds. And uh, here it's Dagon, uh, Dagon, the fish god. Now, 
the, the day's not going to go well for Dagon. The next couple of days are not, are not going to go well for him at all. Look at verse 3. The Bible says, when they of Ashdod, where, where the, the, the ark has been taken, arose early on the morrow, so tomorrow or the next day, the uh, Bible says, behold, Dagon was what? Fallen, uh, fallen upon his what? Face. Apparently he had fallen down from some place or, or perhaps he was you know, a statue that sat uh, on, upon the ground and had just toppled over. But what we know here is that Dagon has fallen over. He's toppled over. He's been toppled over uh, on his face to the earth before what? What does it say there? Before the ark of God. So uh, there's, a, there's a picture here of what? The, the idea is, uh, what's being pictured in this is that Dagon, this idol, uh, is bowed down before the ark, and I, I understand that uh, the people, really both, both countries, have kind of made the ark into this religious thing of worship uh, falsely, but I think what's pictured here is that Dagon is bowing down to the Lord, the God of the ark, uh, is the idea here. Now, I want to ask you this. How do you suppose old Dagon got there? How do you suppose he got down on, on his face in front of the ark of God, uh, picturing the worship of the God of, of the ark? Brother Gary, the Bible doesn't say, but I, I think we could pretty easily assume here that it's the Lord himself who did this. And, and so I believe here you see uh, the power of God just to extend his hand down uh, into this scene uh, and, and to topple Dagon the idol over onto his face before the ark of God. I believe the God of the ark did this uh, as a clear message uh, to the people there about their false worship and about the... Uh, profound inferiority of their idol uh, to the Lord. Now, let me ask you this. Could, could their idol have come into the tabernacle and done anything like this? Could he? He's not real, right? I mean, he was real, but sense that he's, but he's an inanimate thing. He's not, he's not a person. He has no power. Uh, he's just a thing. You could say, well, maybe some demonic power could enter in. Okay, I'll, I'll grant you that, but uh, that, that's, that's all there would be. Dagon's an idol. He's a false god. He's not real uh, like the Lord is real. And, and so he has no power, authority to do that. Uh, but the Lord does. He, he has the power to insert himself again into this scene and to topple over uh, this idol and, and to picture uh, for the people of Ashdod what they should be doing. They should be bowing down to the god of the ark in humbling themselves before the God of the ark, the Lord, and, and repenting of sin and turning from this false idol worship to the Lord. The Lord is powerfully uh, showing them this with this, this scene that he's created. I'm going to say tonight on Thanksgiving Eve, Marilyn, that I am thankful for a God who has that kind of power. Uh, he, he had the power to know what was going on. He's omniscient. He knows all things. Uh, he had the power to insert himself into that scene and to literally create a picture of what the people there should have been doing. I'm thankful for a God who has this kind uh, of power. Let's go on in verse 4. The Bible says, When they arose early on the morrow uh, morning, the next morning, behold, 
Uh, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. I think the implication is that someone had righted him back up. They had propped him back up again and said, Dagon, you stay there like you're supposed to be. And the next morning, they, they came back out into the Dagon temple, and there he was toppled down again, bowed down on his face before the ark of the Lord. But there's more. <laughs> but wait, there's more. Uh, verse 4 continues, and the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were what? cut off. Uh, he'd been decapitated and it says the palms of his hands, perhaps his hands completely, uh, were cut off upon the threshold, uh, the door still, if you will, of, of the temple evidently. The Bible says only the stump of Dagon was uh, left to him. Now how'd that happen? How'd that happen do you suppose? You think uh, some of the priests of Dagon came in and did that? No, they wouldn't have done that, right? This their God or one of their two uh, main gods, n none of them would have done that. Uh, pretty clearly, the Lord has uh, inter intervened in the situation again. He's come into the scene again and given the people an even more powerful picture of the truth uh, of the situation. Dagon is nothing. He's just, a, he's just a, a, an idol. That's all he is. Uh, the true God, the Lord, the God of the ark can cause him to bow down and uh, if the Lord chooses, the Lord can decapitate him and cut off his hands uh, to demonstrate just how uh, worthless, how valueless, how uh, much Dagon is, is not a god at all, but, but just an idol. And, and so the Lord, uh, the Lord has intervened to picture uh, these truths. Brother Art, I'm thankful tonight for a God who's that powerful. He's that powerful. Uh, by the way, he's gracious God, too, that would set this scene to show those people this truth. I mean, the Lord is showing them in a very powerful way some, some very powerful truth here. Look at verse 5. Here's an example of man's uh, inclination to be religious. And that's, that's kind of a theme uh, over the past uh, several weeks for us, right? The, we, we've seen the natural temptation of man to try to be right with God through religion rather than through a relationship. And here's that same inclination in verse 5. The Bible says here, therefore, so David's laying down over the door sill, uh, his head's cut off, his hands are cut off, therefore... Neither the priests of Dagon nor any that come into Dagon's house tread or walked on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod uh, unto this day. Now, do you understand why, why they would do that? They found their idol, their god, toppled over, uh, toppled across the threshold, the door sill of the entrance to the temple. That's where they found him with his head cut off and his, his hands cut off and you know, that's, they're going to say, well, well this, is, this is a holy, uh, even holier scene now. This is where uh, Dagon befell this uh, terrible fate. They, they, Gary, they didn't get the, the idea of the picture of, of the scene that God had set for them. They didn't understand that the, the, the God of the ark was trying to turn them from Dagon to uh, him. They, they, they just said, wow, look, look, look at Dagon. Maybe, maybe he's fended off some, uh, some uh, bad guy, some enemy, some, some other god. Maybe he's, maybe he's been fighting with the God of the Israelites. But what we know for sure is that uh, he's given himself for us today. Uh, he's now headless and handless. And so this is holy ground. We can't, we can't tread upon this place uh, where Dagon has died for us. So this is the idea. Uh, this is this would be they now viewed it as a holy a holy place the place where Dagon was found uh, this way you don't have to turn there tonight but please make a note 
in Zephaniah 1 and verse 9. In Zephaniah 1 and verse 9, um, the Lord is dealing with the people, his people, the Jewish people, for their idolatry, for their false worship. And Brother Art, it sounds like the people had actually fallen into the worship of Dagon. Because there in Zephaniah 1.9, the Bible says, In the same day also will I punish all those that leap on or perhaps leap over the threshold, the threshold, which fill their master's houses with violence and deceit. Uh, Zephaniah 1.9, by the time you get there, this, this would appear to be a reference all the way back to what we're seeing here tonight in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 5, this, this death of Dagon, if you will, and the the veneration of the place where he died seems to become a religious tradition that was carried down as part of Dagon worship all the way to the time of Zephaniah. The people were still practicing that veneration of Dagon by leaping over the door sill rather than walking upon it. It was a way of remembering him. It was a way of worshiping him. Uh, it was a silly religious tradition, and that, that's all it was, but to the, these people who worshiped Dagon, they didn't want to let him go. This was just a, a way of, of commemorating him or celebrating him. Uh, we talked this week, Chris and I, about the, all the different um, traditions about carrying your spouse across the, th across the threshold, stuff like that. I don't think there's any uh, root of that stuff here in this tradition. We, we looked that up. We checked that out. I think we're, we're good in that regard. Guys, if you want to carry your bride across the threshold, I think that's okay. I don't think you'll be inadvertently worshiping Dagon, okay? Look at verse 6. But the hand of the Lord was heavy upon them of Ashdod, uh, and he destroyed them. Uh, the Lord is... Um, uh, going to intervene in an increasingly more direct uh, uh, and, and more powerful fashion. You know, he, he set the stage once in a kind of a gentle way. Uh, Dagon was just bowed down. And then he set the scene again uh, in a somewhat more uh, powerful way, off with the head of Dagon, off with the hands of Dagon. Uh, and the people still don't. They choose not to understand what's happening. They don't see it. And so the Lord will intervene with even more power uh, and authority and judgment. Uh, verse 6 says, again, the Lord was heavy upon them of Ashdod, uh, and he destroyed them uh, and smote them. The word here is emeralds or emeroids, uh, even Ashdod and the coasts thereof. Uh, I don't want to dwell on this tonight. It's not a pleasant thought, but emeroids... Uh, is exactly what it sounds like. If, if you look at, if you study the, the underlying word, it is exactly what it sounds like. And we get a couple verses further down, that becomes even more clear. Uh, so it, it, is, it is what you think it is. Uh, here are the response of the Philistines here in verse 7. Uh, when the men of Ashdod saw that it was so, they said, the ark of the God of Israel shall not abide with us, for his hand is sore upon us. And he had, he had affected Dagon, and now he's uh, some of them have died and others are affected with emeroids. Uh, his hand is sore upon us and upon Dagon, uh, our God. So they, they convene a council uh, to try to figure out what to do uh, with the ark. They understand that this is all befalling them uh, somehow because, as a consequence of the presence uh, of the ark. Verse 8 says, They sent, therefore, and gathered all the lords of the Philistines unto them and said, What shall we do uh, with the ark of the God of Israel? What shall we do uh, with the ark? Now, I want to ask you a question before we go on. Is that the question that they should have been asking uh, that day? Is that really the question that should have been on their minds? What shall we do with the ark? 
you know, this, this ark's causing us all, all kinds of grief. Is Zachary, is that the best question that they could have been asking themselves? I think a better question would be, uh, hey, what shall we do with the God of the ark of Israel? What, what, maybe, maybe that the, the God of Israel, the God of that ark, not the ark itself, not this religious piece of furniture here, but uh, it's just a piece of furniture. Dagon was just a piece of furniture. Now he's headless and handless. Uh, but maybe the God, maybe the God of those people and the God of that ark uh, is a more powerful God. Maybe he's the only real God. These are the questions they should have been asking themselves, uh, but instead they're asking, what should we do? Uh, what should we do with the ark? We gotta get that thing out of here. It's, it's, that piece of furniture is causing us grief. They still don't get it. Well, they decide to send the ark to another Philistine city. See, uh, verse eight, uh, they, they answered, let the ark of God of Israel, let the ark of the God of Israel be carried about unto Gath. Uh, and they carried the ark of the God of Israel about thither. Gath is one of the five royal cities uh, of the Philistines. Uh, later on in, in chapter 17, we'll see that Goliath uh, is called um, uh, Goliath of Gath. I don't know if we could say for sure that he was born there, but at least he lived there, so uh, that's interesting. Later on, we'll see David flee from Saul uh, to Achish, the king of Gath. So this is a place that factors into scripture fairly prominently. Uh, anyway, they send, they send the ark off to Gath, one of their other royal cities. And Gary, that doesn't sound like a very friendly thing to me. Uh, if, they, if they really thought the presence of the ark was the issue, just to ship it off to another one of their cities doesn't necessarily sound uh, like a good idea. Well, look at verse 9. The Bible says, And it was so that after they carried it about, the hand of the Lord was against the city, this be Gath, uh, with a very great destruction. Uh, the word destruction was used before. Now it's a very great destruction. Uh, the word behind destruction has the idea of, of desolation or uh, to make desolate. And you can think of it really as the opposite of blessing. This is the very exact opposite of blessing. The Lord is powerfully coming upon the scene and uh, he's, he's not going to bless their theft of the ark or their uh, their steadfast refusal uh, to bow down to the God of the ark. Uh, he's going to come in here and judge these people uh, for, their, for their sin, no doubt, but also uh, no doubt part of the Lord's intention remains to give them a powerful demonstration of his reality. He's as real as Dagon is not real. Uh, the Lord will powerfully intervene again, come into the scene to demonstrate who he is and what he's like, he's real, and he will judge them if they refuse him. Uh, middle of verse 9 says, and he smote, he smote the men of the city, both small and great, uh, and they had emeralds. Uh, where does it say? Well, you don't have to say it, in, in their secret parts. So, you know, again, this is pretty clearly, we, we understand the word correctly. Um, this is judgment of God, this affliction, this very unpleasant uh, affliction. Uh, it's God's judgment. There's nothing, there's nothing pleasant about correction or affliction uh, unless people respond to it <laughs> with, with repentance uh, and humility before the Lord. Well, these people, Brother Art, they decide they got to ship the ark off again too because, you know, it's not going well for them. Uh, they, they ship it, verse 10, therefore they sent the ark of God to Ekron. 
Uh, and it came to pass as the ark of God came to Ekron that the Ekronites cried out saying, they have brought about the ark of the God of Israel to us uh, to slay us and our people. So they, they know there's something about this ark. They know there's something about its presence. Uh, they allude to the God of Israel perhaps as being behind that, but uh, they still seem to be more focused on the ark as a religious thing than the Lord and the need for a relationship with him. Uh, these people say, listen, we, we've seen what's happened in two other cities here in, in Philistine. We could get rid of this thing once and for all. Uh, and so we see this in verse 11. So they sent and gathered all the lords of the Philistines and said, send away the ark of the God of Israel. Let it go again to his own place back home. Send it back home uh, that, it's, that it slay us not, it. Uh, and our people, for there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city. The hand of God was very heavy there. He's real God. He can do that. Brother, he's powerful. He's that powerful. The Lord can go from city to city to city and judge and intervene and intercede and demonstrate uh, his power to people wherever, whenever he chooses. I praise God for, for a God that's that powerful. Verse 12 uh, concludes this account by simply stating, and the men that died not were smitten with the emeroids, the same emeroids, the same judgment, the same judgment, uh, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. Well, that'd be a good place for the cry of the city to go up to. Uh, I don't think at this place that they're humbly crying out to the Lord and, and repenting, uh, but they've seen something of our God's genuine power uh, here tonight. Now, it's, a, it's an unfortunate scene, of course, to see people suffering God's judgment for their refusal to see who the true God is. That might, be, that might be discouraging, but I would encourage tonight that we not be discouraged by that. Uh, God is able to intercede in someone's life and show people who he is, that he's real. He did that for you. Did he not? Did, did he not come into your life, Gary, and somehow, some way, supernaturally, convince you that he is real uh, and that you needed his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ? The Lord somehow, supernaturally, stepped right into our lives, right? Uh, supernaturally set foot onto the stage of our lives and convinced us that he is real and that we need him. He's been doing that all through history, uh, inserting himself into people's lives and supernaturally, just in the most powerful supernatural way, uh, showing people that he's real and convicting us that we need him. And Brother Art, yes, giving us faith to place upon uh, the cross of Christ. Um, I would dare say tonight that no one here was wrestled to the cross through rational arguments. Uh, maybe, maybe someone uh, came to you with some arguments about why there must be a God or why maybe we should believe the Bible is true. But uh, I doubt there's anybody here tonight that would say those rational arguments uh, drag me across the finish line, if you will, to yielding myself to Lord Jesus Christ and placing my faith in him. No, it, it has to be the supernatural work uh, of a very powerful God who comes in and, and acts 
in our spirit to convict and give faith. Aren't you glad for that tonight? Aren't you glad for a God that was powerful enough to reveal himself to you and to convict you and to give you faith to place right back upon the cross? Uh, I'll bet tonight we're, we're profoundly thankful for that. And that, of course, would be the, probably the biggest thing we could be thankful for on Thanksgiving Eve. Um, I want to I wanna say all that tonight to say this. As we head into the new year and pray for and look for opportunities to share the gospel, let's please be reminded that, well, our job is to give forth the words of God. And that's our job, right? Our job is to give forth the words of God. It's got to be the God of those words who works powerfully and supernaturally to bring people to Christ and to give that faith. Amen? It, God's got to do that. Is he still in that business? He absolutely still is. Can he still do that? He absolutely still can. And so I want to encourage you tonight. Pray that God will help us to do our part in the balance of this year, Christmas time, Thanksgiving time, great time to, to reach people. Uh, and moving into the new year, Lord, give us opportunity to share your words. Lord, give us, uh, give us uh, your strength and confidence from you, boldness in you to do that. But Lord, help us to look to you and prayerfully ask and, and rely more upon you and your power than our own strength or anything that we can do to kind of wrestle people down and, and, and force them to listen to the gospel. We need God to work mightily. And, and he's a God that can and will do that, just as he did here in 1 Samuel chapter 5. Let's stop there uh, and pray, and then Zach, come and lead us in our next song. Father, thank you, Lord, tonight for being a God who is that powerful. Uh, Lord, you're a God who has um, every power and every authority uh, demonstrated so clearly uh, there in, in three cities throughout Philistine. Lord, I thank you tonight that you're a God who remains that powerful. Uh, you're a God who works supernaturally in our lives, and you're a God who works supernaturally still uh, to bring people to Christ. Lord, help us to never forget tonight that it's our job to share the words, but it's your job to work supernaturally, powerfully, supernaturally in people's hearts. Lord, we we pray tonight and ask you to use us to share your words. And Lord, as we're faithful to do that, I pray that you would work supernaturally in the lives of lost people to bring them to Christ. Lord, I love you tonight. Thank you for being a God of such power. Lord, help us to rely upon you for everything. I love you. I thank you. I pray all of this in Jesus' name.